I'm Alex from the Elder Tour Squad. This is a mature podcast that uses the 5th edition rule set for Dungeons & Dragons by Wizards of the Coast. This campaign is a slightly modified version of the module Tombs of Annihilation. Our play experience is purely our own and is covered under the open game license. Any other similarities to people, places, things, ideas, or events are pure coincidence. Thank you for listening. Welcome to our playthrough of Tombs of Annihilation. I am Alex. I am the DM for this. I think we should probably start out by going around and talking about your characters on my left. So, I am Anne, your uh, usual keeper, and I am playing Brynhild the Pretender, a half-orc bard slash fighter. In a very interesting multiclass, I'm very excited to test out, and also thank you for the homebrew rules, I really needed that. Anytime. These ain't sad bitch hours, these are angry bitch hours. <laughs> these are mad bitch hours. <laughs> these are mad bitch hours. <laughs> Alright, uh, me next? Yes, yeah. go ahead. <laughs> like we're not in I a circle. I see the anticipation on your face. Uh, I am Damien, and I am playing... Also known as Turner the Kenku. He is just a little Twilight cleric. Good boy hours all the time. Mm-hmm. A scrunkly little guy. He's a... S- <laughs> yeah! <laughs> we, we've shared the chart too many times. I hate the use of the term uh, scrunkly, because every time I think of that stupid fucking cat from Rick and Morty. <laughs> oh my god, I... Honestly, I only think of... When we say scrunkly, I think of Orin from Pirate yeah. Campaign. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, yeah, he is, like, the scrunkliest you can get as a yeah. character. Yeah. Scrunkly incarnate. Yeah. I mean, dude, when you voice act as him, I see you motion and making like little goblin motions. <laughs> you square out your body. <laughs> dude, your arms. It's even funnier imagining you as the height of Orin, though. Like, you literally throw your arms up and down in like the, like, the proto robotic slash goblinoid, like, fucking limb fling. Oh, I love Orin so much. Jacob, share with the class how tall is Orin? If I'm not wrong i'll quickly pull up his character sheet he's two feet ten inches i'm pretty sure he's <laughs> the smallest a little gnome can get yeah and uh with the economy with his younger brother uh ogan who is seven foot what how oh, he's like seven two or something uh i think he's just under eight feet tall just under eight feet yeah, yeah. yeah. you had you like you specifically said he had to duck underneath doors yeah, because we went. You went for the lowest size that your that your race gave you. I went for the highest. Uh, so yeah, uh, Orin is uh, two feet ten inches. It's uh-huh. Wonderful. All right, bat focusing back in. <laughs> Next, we have Jacob. Who are you playing in Tombs of Annihilation? I am playing as Rilke, a Shadar Kai blood hunter of the Order of the Profane Soul, a very calm, collected, very scarred past, but she doesn't let people know that. All right. So just a little bit of a precursor. This is Tombs of Annihilation is known as like a meat grinder campaign, and I wanted to play it with high powered characters. I wanted to have high powered player characters coming into it so that they could meet the challenge. So I am running quite a few homebrew rules, some extra power started them a little bit leveled up. Uh, so that we can have a fun and interesting campaign that isn't just death. Thank you, Daddy Master. <laughs> oh, don't, no. don't say that. <laughs> I 
think I want a divorce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so first thing I wanted to point out here is why don't you give a little bit of a introduction to what Tombs is, plot, and so forth. Okay, so what you know going into Tombs as a player character, and kind of, I guess I could wrap into that a little bit of what has happened so far on previous episodes. The players all came to a job description by one Sindra Sylvain. They came and listened to her ask a favor, a paid favor, obviously, from a large group of adventurers and mercenaries, and these were the ones that actually took up her offer. For a while, resurrection magic in the world has not been working. Every time that a spell such as True Resurrection or uh, Revivify is attempted to be cast, it fails utterly, and anyone who has been brought back to life by one of these spells is slowly withering away until they wither into nothing and die forever. Syndra is one of these such affected people, and so now has contracted many people to try and find the source, and her information has pointed her to an island in the middle of the sea called Chult. The Chultish Island, I'd say, like, is it like a Pacific Island, probably close in real life? Yeah, as a note, yeah, this takes place in our homebrew world that we call yeah. uh, Farida, which largely won't, like, play into this campaign. In small ways, there's definitely lore reasons for a certain thing, such as an accent or two. Yep, as a, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's a thing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so there's like small things, and we'll probably uh, explain them as they come up. Because this is a homebrew world we played in for, what, about a year? Yeah, longer? yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, so we definitely wanted to keep doing stuff with it. Also, if you wanted to place things in like Forgotten Realms world, it's like, that. good luck reading all that lore, man. You've got, <laughs> you've got years ahead of you. They, yeah, they said in the book, in the setup, it tells you, well, you can, if you want the standard, you can have them like leave from Baldur's Gate. Or, if you're in a homebrew world, wherever makes sense. When we, we call this the Frida world because there's a large island that's kind of in the middle of, of a proto-Atlantic you know, ocean that is between what we unfortunately have named and are looking at renaming them the old continent and the new continent because this is kind of takes place in kind of a variant of 17th century. Earth? Yeah, so, yeah thank you. And so, in the Old Continent, it's mostly ruled by dwarves who have mastered industrial uh, technologies and mineral rea, like mineral mining. There's wood elves there, there's halflings who created an anarcho-communist society, which I love and eventually we're going to have to do more with. Uh, it's going to happen. I seen Damien's little dance. <laughs> On the newer continent, you have a dragonborn society that is pretty burgeoning. Um, that's kind of most of the race in the new continent that that is like making contact, and in the deep south you do have sun elves and yeah like the they are more inspired by the Incan Empire, and the Dragonborn are kind of more inspired by a blend of indigenous societies, but obviously kind of mixed with them with the Dragonborn lore as most of this going to be is a blend of our histories and fantasy. Yeah, and like we talked about it, so specifically we talked about Chult being, I believe, southwest of Farida. And yeah, Farida is the oh, island okay. that is the big mercantile meeting point between all these races. 
So it's kind of the biggest economic center of the world right now. Mm. Yeah, so and like all these islands around it too are pretty important and relatively unexplored. Yeah. Which I think plays really well into Chult, actually. Yeah, so Chult isn't technically under the banner of any of the large nations or anything like that. It is ruled by seven merchant princes who are both obviously the economic powers of the area and act as its de facto government. The climate in Chult is a heavy, dense jungle. There are no potable water sources on the entire island, so all of the water that needs to be used for drinking or anything along those lines has to be collected as rainwater. But luckily, it rains incredibly often. Who knew that, like, what is, was it purify food and drink uh, is now the best spell in the world? Purify food and drink or create water, create, destroy water. <laughs> like, I think you guys have a um, scroll of create, destroy water uh, somewhere. Can trips for days, baby. Mm-hmm. Let me see. Either way, I'm a cleric. It's fine. I was going to talk a little bit about the animal life on Please, please do. So, the animal life on Chult is very complex. The inhabitants of the one major city on the entire island, called Port Yanzaru, is largely human, but has obviously a mixing of other races there too. There is a large Arakakra population and some Terra folk that are not exactly welcome because they are generally in raiding and nesting parties, as the party found out last time, actually. Alongside them, oh, did I mention that the uh, largest animal population on the island is dinosaurs? Yeah! Dino races, dino races. As uh, as Anne has very aptly put it, one of the biggest entertainment pieces in the city is from dinosaur races through the streets, which they have bet on before and won some money at. The dinosaur races through the streets are, uh, again, when I read this module, I'm like, yeah, no, that's just cooler than anything I could have come up with, so... In fact, your girl just got a baby ankylosaurus, and rightfully named Tortellini. Oh my god. My baby boy. I, baby girl. I don't know if how fast that they're supposed to grow up, but I'm gonna make them grow up fast. Bro, I tried to read about this for, like, so much, and I didn't find anything. Right. I know the information's gotta be out there. There's gotta, like, someone's figured this out. Right. Some scientist. Maybe? Probably? Probably. I don't know. I have no fucking idea. Alex, uh, could you talk a bit about why we are... The potential issue with running D&D 5th Edition, why we kind of decided to stick with it? So, for me, it's twofold. The larger issue is obviously the combination of the OGL issues with Wizards of the Coast having problems for us, for us morally to support them as consumers, combined with... Wizards of the Coast business practices are not exactly pro-consumer either. I'll say it. OGL controversy, you fucks. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, that was some good thunder in the back there. Yeah, the thunderstorm's great. Ooh, I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and I can speak more on this as a Magic the Gathering player because uh, uh, fuck Wizards of the Coast in recent years. We started with Dungeons and Dragons, as many tabletop groups do, and we have found other systems that we like better. So we are a bit heavily invested in this. We care about this campaign. We care about these characters, and it would be pretty hard to translate it all into another system. But after this campaign is over, if we're running anything fantasy, we'll probably be running it in RuneQuest or Pathfinder. Yeah, and yeah, RuneQuest like right now the plan is just to like feel it out, but I'm really excited about getting and getting knees deep in Pathfinder. And I've been looking recently into uh, joining a Pathfinder campaign as a player and reading through the rule books. Oh, I'm excited. I I would love to run that system. Yeah, I mean, I'm yeah, I'm pretty excited about the possibility of getting in Pathfinder cuz I personally really like heavy systems because you can take them and then you can just work around the parts that are too crunchy for you or that yeah just don't really play into the way your group wants to play like RuneQuest is actually super crunchy and like well the first time we play it we'll play it as intended but I already think there's some places where I'm going to streamline things and I'm excited for you to play in a Pathfinder game so that you can like see those spots too mm-hmm. if everything's worth keeping for our for our group's purposes or if there are things that you can do better, like right. for our what's kind of a more narrative game. And as like as you've noticed with this game, I am definitely not shy about taking the pieces I like from a system and leaving the rest. Yeah, because like when a game is like is really heavy on rules, it gives you the nuts and bolts to like help make characters the way you want to make them. And then sometimes you gotta learn when to pull those bolts out and pretend that there's a mechanism there when you just <laughs> took it out. I am putting the joint in. It's fine. We're gonna, or like a Warhammer 40k with the orcs here where there's no engine in there but we believe that it'll fly. <laughs> and it will fly. <laughs> yeah, and part of it for me too is seeing the changes for the next edition for D&D, I have zero faith that that will be even like a fun functional system for us to play at all if we would move editions i i don't have any faith in that whatsoever but mr burr don't you know that the one dnd will make it will do away with editions hey did did you want a mechanical interface for romancing characters I'd like to be hung in the square. (laughs) Can you believe we're going to be halfway through our game recording and um, Cindy's going to come back drunk on four locos? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, from coming back from a Fallout Boy concert. Oh, they're gonna be messed up, man. Oh, a guest <laughs> appearance with just a random like NPC busting out of a tavern. Hey, Cindy, want to come play a Terra folk? <laughs> oh God! <laughs> just incoherent screeching. Uh, I think the last thing I just kind of wanted to touch on that on here was that. Yeah, I mean, obviously, this is going on to you know our EHS podcast and. I think, like, some people might think it's a little off-brand to jump from Call of Cthulhu and, you know, kind of this more horror setting to something more fantasy. Um, But personally, I think Tombs really works well, because, yeah, it's definitely a lot lighter in tone, but I kind of think of it as kind of this, yeah, it's fantasy, but an adventure pulp story. I think that's a good way of putting it, for sure. Yeah, and I mean, like, a lot of, like, Call of Cthulhu pulp stuff is like that, and I think... 
especially with Tombs of Annihilation, that like death is a very real possibility, more so than most campaigns. And yeah, the jungle and the traps and the ancient cities. I think that play that there's something so Call of Cthulhu about it. I agree, especially God the stuff that we just finished too. The cities that we were in with Yvain and the and the rest mm-hmm. that that fits right into this setting, like hundred percent. Look forward to a radio drama style months in the future. <laughs> <laughs> game is a bi-weekly game that we oh. record. Uh, just a little thing. It is a pet peeve of mine. Semi-weekly. Oh, because you mean because it's like twice a week? Bi-weekly can mean either once every other week or twice a week. Semi-weekly always means once every other week. Or twice a month. You could also just say that. You pedantic fucks. (laughs) I just want clarity. Okay, so this is a recording we do semi-weekly. Thank you. Or twice a month. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, we hope to put out these episodes every other Tuesday, starting uh, starting from this posting. Yeah. I'm definitely excited to run this. I love this more... uh, lighter-hearted adventure-style gameplay. It's it's definitely my bread and butter. This is not me, like, talking down on the Call of Cthulhu campaign. I'm having an absolute blast. You need a this blend, is, though. Yeah, this is my wheelhouse, though. Yeah, I mean, no, I totally get it. Because, like, yeah, that's why our main group can get so, like, psychologically intense that that's why I personally was like, okay, I need to maybe put together this Beyond the Mountains group because that's sci-fi pulp fun like horror shit, but that'll that that's that's just more of a good time. There's, I want that to just be fun because I needed that break too. What won't fit and will feel very jarring is when I eventually run that monster of a week game, where you guys are overnight workers battling against raccoons trying to rampage your store. I mean, I I was gonna mention that, ironically enough, the big one for me was the Monster of the Week campaign for <laughs> psychologically draining on me. Oh shit, man, that shit put me through the gutter at one point. Oh god. I understand. The ending of season two of that was pitch black. Oh, it was, like, everyone was ready to die at the end of that. Oh, I mean, one of the last things that happens is you executing another player character child. Yep. Okay, it was a fake fake execution, execution. but... Kind of. Yeah, you're lucky because there was about to be two. Yeah. 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 You did shoot him in the head, it's just... Like, you did execute him, he just came back. He was just a vampire, so it didn't actually kill him. (laughs) No, it's the fact that I let him keep the chosen ability, which doesn't let him... The fact... Okay, I I made him keep the chosen ability, which doesn't let him die. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, I think the last thing to touch on might just be a short recap. We haven't gotten very far, so there's not too much to recap. Okay, yeah, so the first thing to cover is that y'all are a bunch of lucky sons of bitches. Everybody's doing dances right now, except for Jake. Jake's organizing his dice. Oh, there's the dance. (laughs) Just like a grug. I have rolled for them on the loot table three times. For context, it is a D100 table that from 1 to 49 gives them nothing whatsoever. And then from 50 to 100 gives them something with a median uh, value of like 50 to 100 gold. 
They have rolled three times. They have received a spyglass, which is worth 1,000 gold pieces. They have received a vial of wyvern poison, worth 1,200 gold pieces. And they have received, let me see if I can find it real quick, a horn of blasting. Oh, and I think you might also have a wand of secrets. I'm not positive. Yeah, we yeah, do. Yeah, we do. Yep, that regains 1d. Uh, it's three charges, one action to reveal hidden doors, traps, gain 1d3 uses at dawn. Yep. Oh, that's a bad bitch. So spam that shit. Yeah. Especially How once we get into pissed? expansive dungeons. How much would it piss you off? Is uh, Every time I pull it out, whenever we walk up to a door, Lingardium Leviosa. <laughs> It'd just be unfortunate. Yeah, we're, we ain't gonna fucking reference that bitch on a queer, on a queer podcast. <laughs> oh, so yeah, the yeah. trans woman referencing it. <laughs> See, that's that's just that's just being ironic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I get that. I get this for free. <laughs> I have that power. <laughs> I can't do it. Yeah, yeah, the token straight can't. <laughs> that would be a hate crime. Alex, was this your con- mom the uh, the Christian that wouldn't let you touch Harry Potter? No. Okay, no, I, she read Harry Potter to us. See, okay, I actually knew somebody who, like, yeah, she wasn't allowed to touch Harry Potter when we were kids, so I was just curious. Ooh. Yeah. I don't know why. My beer tastes a little bit like hot dog. Okay, I need Go it on this. Sip. Go for it. Take the sip. Just Wait. a hint. Just a hint of hot dog, right? Like somebody accidentally put a little bit of hot dog water in the. Yeah, uh, and just the oh, there it is. It's the, the hot dog. <laughs> it's the aftertaste. Yeah. Why is there hot dog water in there? I, I think it's just because it's warm. It's the idea is because like I think I've had this happen before, but also there's not enough space in the fridge for this beer. So yeah, catching up, they have been teleported long range by Sindra Sylvain into the port Nyanzaru. They have met with several of the merchant princes to procure supplies and equipment for the journey. They have met a guide, one Azaka Stormfang, who, instead of asking for payment to act as a guide, asked for uh, help with an errand to go get a family heirloom from a terrafolk nest. They have just completed the dungeon, I guess mini-dungeon, Firefinger to get the heirloom back, so Azaka is now in their debt for the rest of the expedition. She is paid in full in advance. She might roll low, but she's a bad bitch deep inside. Brynhild is so thirsty. I have not. Oh, I have flirted with her. Yeah. Um, you have flirted a with lot. a lot. You of have people. flirted with flirted every with almost every woman we've seen. I've, two. I've only flirted with two. We've seen three women. Two of them have been married. Well, I've got a good batting average. <laughs> <laughs> After that, I believe you returned to town, decided on selling and buying certain uh, equipment. It mm-hmm. took a while. Like we had That was a, most of that session. That was that most session. Of that episode. Session. Yeah, that session was mostly uh, go look through the magical items list. What do y'all want to buy because you're rich as fuck? Lil Turner got a cloak of protection. I got Tortellini. Uh, I got a rapier <laughs> level or uh, plus one, so. And as we can all tell, I got the winning uh, hand here. You I mean, definitely yeah. did. Next time we're coming in, I'm getting uh, the flying lizard. The flying lizard? The flying snake. Yeah. 
I believe that's most of the things of note. Uh, you have met with a couple of a bunch of NPCs that you have forced me to make up on the spot because they weren't in the book. Because y'all are going to everywhere that the book doesn't have descriptions for. Yeah, running a game is very akin to being a hostage. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It's like, oh yes, I've got this temple that you can go to. It's got very good clues. There's also this temple that's got a very small description of the exterior. Oh, that's the one you want to go to, huh? Hey, and we made a blacksmith friend there, so. Yeah. Yeah, when you're a DM, there's like two choices. Power hungry, like live long enough to become the villain, or you live and die at the whim of your players. (laughs) (laughs) Guess which one you are. Um, all right, though. I think uh, we can. that probably brings to an end to our intro. Yeah, uh, I was just going to briefly go through the characters, because you've met with... You never asked his name, but Wilbur is the one who runs the alchemy shop. His name <gasps> we've, is Wilbur? We've never yeah. asked his name! Yeah, we just got there to get psychedelic mushrooms and well, leave. Well, now I wish I didn't know his name. What a poor man! What? Come on! Wilbur? I love the man. He's, He's great. He's named after a pig? No. Maybe the pig is named after him. For the record, I edit most... I'm going to take over editing. EHS. EHS. Alex is in charge of editing this, so whatever makes it. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. (laughs) This is the real off-the-rails game, too. Yep. Yep. I mean, that's, that's kind of half of the point, too. Then there are your innkeeps, Felda and Sasha... I'm pretty sure you flirted with both of them. Mm-hmm. What, and you're supposed to stop me? And then uh, there is your blacksmithing friend, Ferris, over at the temple. And I think that's about caught up. I think that's the background information that you need to know. Okay, closing comments. Fuck Wizards of the Coast. Fuck Watsy. I used to take notes for this game, and then I realized that in three pages of notes, I wrote down that I forged something. I wrote Azaka's name down three separate times, and that was all. Not gonna lie, I forgot you forged that document. I forgot until last time when you brought it up. Mm. Uh, I don't have any closing thoughts. I think we got everything cemented pretty well. No well, thoughts could, had empty. No thoughts had empty. You could have just said fuck Watsy and it would have been a win. <laughs> you had so much at your fingertips. You let it slip. We already had two of those, so, you know. Make it three. Make it four. You know, yeah, yeah. Fuck, fuck Wizards Watsy. of the Coast. Okay, yeah. all right.